Welcome to the Jungle Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Joey, and today I'm chatting with Sarah Gross. Sarah is a former Ironman champion, the founder and chief of Feisty Media, host of the Feisty Women's Podcast, and a mum. Through her work, Sarah's goal is to create an empowering culture for active women. In this chat, we dive into women's performance. We talk about how much of sports and sports science has evolved at the exclusion of women and how this has impacted the culture of female performance. We also talk about the menstrual cycle and its impact on training, as well as some of the unique considerations for women when it comes to nutrition. We do try and cover the whole chat from both a coach and an individual perspective. So whether you're a woman who's wanting to improve your own training approach, or you're a coach who's looking to better understand your clients, you'll find a bunch of good stuff in this chat. Now, before we get into it, I wanna take a second to talk fitness business. If you're a coach or an aspiring coach and you wanna do something special in the fitness game, but you don't wanna follow the standard industry mold, the Jungle Alliance might be for you. The Jungle Alliance is a coalition of world-class coaches and gyms who are elevating the standard in the fitness industry. Our aim is to foster the growth of epic small gyms and coaches that go against the grain of the typical franchises and globo gyms that dominate the fitness landscape. If this sounds like something you're interested in, we would love to connect. You can reach out to us at junglealliance.com or through the Jungle Alliance Instagram, which is simply at Jungle Alliance. Please enjoy today's chat with Sarah Gross. How are you? Um, good afternoon, Joey. I am great. How are you? Yeah, good afternoon, of course. <laughs> You're coming in from uh, from Victoria, Canada. Yeah, yeah. DC, Canada. So it's 1 p.m. here. What time is it for you? It's 8 a.m. Okay. Yeah, well, good morning to you. Yeah, cheers. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Could, could you start by telling me where we went wrong with female <laughs> performance? It's obviously a huge question. It's it's what we want to dig into today. But where was where was the point where we screwed that up? Oh, it's always been screwed up. Like the it we screwed up at the beginning, you know, in terms of like sport. I studied ancient history, right? So like sport, the original Olympic Games, it was kind of designed by men for men. Um, and that's not like that's not me being bitchy. That's like actually what happened. Um, and so like we can't the expectation that women are going to be fully included in sport now is is like kind of unrealistic so we do have like a lot of work to do to bring that level up and with women's performance in particular like we came from like you know year like thousands of years ago where women were thrown off of like people women were thrown off of cliffs for even showing up to try to watch sport um to today where we have like you know almost 50 percent of the folks at the olympic games are are women um so there's been a lot a lot of progress um but unfortunately like a lot of the ways that we design sports science studies for example have come through that male lens so essentially um essentially there's still a long way to go with figuring out how we can perform as women is it the is it the kind of thing that you see? And I heard you speak reference this on your podcast, which is great, mm -hmm. by the way. Um, the does it need to be dismantled and rebuilt, or is it the kind of thing that you can take what we have and and you know through organisations like Feisty Media and whatnot, you can start to shift the culture? Yeah. So I think yeah, this is not a burn it all down situation, 
right? And I think, and honestly, I'm not about burn it all down. Like, I don't think that's a great answer to anything. Um, but uh, like you prompted me so nicely to say, like our, our goal for Feisty Media is to try to create an empowering culture for active women. Um, and so a lot of like the reason we talk about empowering culture or cultural change is because I think there's a lot of movements trying to empower women ourselves, but that puts the onus on us to do all the change, if that makes sense. Like where it's like, if we think let's, let's kind of change the culture and create a culture that is more, um, not just accepting, but empowering, then, then we'll really get there. So yeah, that's what I think the approach should be. Yeah. I get your point there rather than the emphasis being on the individual to grow or develop or sort of take, take the lead with it. If there's a culture that can form a bit of a backbone to a movement, then it gives, yeah. people, it kind of gives people a place to come and, and start that journey, I suppose. Yeah. It's definitely a both. And so, you know, like, you know, that expression, like you can't be it if you can't see it. Yes. You know, um, a friend of mine, uh, texted me actually she texted me about this and she was like people keep saying that like you can't be it if you can't see it but like of course you can it's just harder right so of course there's always women who are the first to do things or people of color the first to step into some new spaces whatever we like we have the first women in certain leadership positions or or whatever it's just harder to get there right so once there's one there tends to be a cascade after that so we're trying to make it easier you know for for talented people to rise to the positions they should be in um in sport and in and in society more broadly so could you tell me then there's a few parts there that i that i'd like to explore um, okay but give me the give me the background on the the science piece where this the the science around sports performance was mm -hmm was essentially built off the data from men uh, or, mm -hmm. or rather male test subjects. And then that was just applied. Can you talk about how that's played out? Yeah. So I think like even in my time, like when I was in my twenties, I was doing my PhD uh, in Scotland and I applied to be part of a sports science study where they had asked for runners who could run 10 K in a certain time. And I was an elite athlete. I don't even think they figured that any women would apply who could do the time they were asking for. Right. And so then when I did, they were like, oh, like awkwardly shuffling around going, oh, we can't have women because your hormone cycles will affect the results too much. Right. And like that was, I then learned later that that was standard across the board. Like it was felt like it was that men were like the standard normal in terms of having a flatter hormone profile and that that was a better way to study sports performance. Um, and even at the time I kind of thought, yeah, okay. That kind of makes sense. Right. <laughs> and it wasn't like, this was like 20 years ago. Right. And it wasn't until years later that I was like, wait a second, like, <laughs> like that makes no sense. Like if we don't include women in the studies, like how do we know how women can perform best? And how do we know how those hormone profiles affect our performance at certain times? So now we have more people asking those questions, but we have a longstanding history of the way that sports science has been done. Um, and science, to its credit moves slowly right like you have to do studies that have proper data and then that study's disproven or altered a bit and it's like this layered effect um, and it takes a long time to get new information so i think we're kind of just at the beginning with that in terms of asking the right even asking the right questions to begin with like how can women get the best out of their bodies or how can women how can we help women perform better or get better performances and so i think we are going to see this amazing time period in front of us where we'll see some improvement in women's sport that will be, that will blow us all away. 
how does that that the, the science piece and and obviously that makes sense when we think about elite athletes and we think about how sports institutions uh, train pro athletes and whatnot. And, and as we know, like say I own a gym here in Sydney and mm-hmm. a lot of the gym culture, or at least for a place like ours, where there's a, a large emphasis on what, what we would say performance, but that's strength development and mobility and coordination and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, we're obviously not dealing with elite athletes, but a lot of what we do, the methodologies and the protocols and whatnot come down from the science. Yeah. Um, how does, how has that, and so that sort of gap within the scientific process, how has that affected the culture of gyms and strength training and sports and whatnot? I actually think, it's a great question. I actually think it's the opposite. So I think that the culture that we live in has affected the studies that we've done. And so it's just a, it's part and parcel, right? So I think that like we can, I think we can make faster change by focusing on some of those cultural pieces in the things that we have an immediate effect on. So in your gym, and I know nothing about it. So I'm just like talking now, but like, you know, I'm sure there are things that you think about that it's like, how can we make certain groups of people feel more welcome here? Right. And I think those, those little things kind of go a long way in terms of, especially in terms of the everyday athlete. Like I think the culture, the cultural environment affects the everyday athlete more because really like we know I was a coach of Ironman athletes for a long time. Like I know for a lot of people that that actual precision of the science and that top end performance doesn't really apply to them. Like if they keep moving, you know, like to do an Ironman race, if you can get someone to do 15 hours of aerobic training, swim, bike, and run in a week, they're going to go out and have a, an okay day at Ironman, right? Um, so the, this, the, the exacting of the science isn't necessary, um, but I think actually making that person feel like I can do this. I feel really good about my body. I feel strong. I feel ready. That's the important part. So I think we should focus on that piece because that's where we can just quickly make change and make everyone feel welcome in our environments. That makes sense to me. So yeah. So you mm-hmm. see it more as being the, the grassroots kind of change when the shift happens there, uh, at a, at a, at a more human level than it feeds back up in a sense. Mm-hmm. And then it will, it will also come down to like, I think some of the stuff we're finding now about training with, with our cycles, like it applies to every woman, right? So sometimes that information, like, the average woman athlete isn't necessarily going to track her cycle or that might just be too much work, right? Like I, you know, I was a pro athlete for many years, but now I just exercise for fun. Like I don't want to track my cycle and put all this data into training logs. And like, I did that for so many years, right? But it is good to know that you're going to have a couple off days, say at the end of your luteal phase, right before you menstruate, like there's going to be a couple days there that you feel off knowing that is empowering because then I can, when I'm at like the CrossFit gym and I feel like crap, you know, then I know why. And I can say, okay, I'll, I'll lift a little less today. Um, and I'll bank on my good days kind of thing. So I think there's like some empowering piece just to some smaller pieces of information. If that makes sense. It does. It's interesting talking about the, the menstrual cycle. Um, I've coached for a long time and I mean, my gym is I think 55% female or 55% women, um, mm-hmm. you know, the rest male and, and it, you know, we have a really strong culture of, of women who embrace their training at our gym and, and from all different walks 
And a lot of them mm. come in sort of looking for one thing and then they end up becoming really into, you know, other things that we do at the gym, handstands or, you know, deadlifting or whatever it is. You, you see this journey and people shift in what their interests are, which is beautiful because it shows a change in perspective and potential, you know, their own sort of view of their potential. Mm -hmm. But, and I've coached a lot of them on a one-to-one -one setting and this is, you know, all sorts of people. I've never once had a conversation around a woman's period relevant mm -hmm. to, to one of my clients. And we've spoken, you know what it's like when you're in a coaching relationship with somebody, but it's your coach or whether your coach is someone else. It's a very intimate relationship. You talk about a lot of things. You'll talk about relationship problems, you know, stresses in their life, yeah. demands. And I've never once had a chat about a period. Yeah. There's, a, there's like almost a life coaching piece to coaching, right? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. And do you think that's because, you know, the athletes you're working with don't want to talk about their menstrual cycle or does that, are you, do you feel kind of like that's maybe somewhere you shouldn't tread? Uh, personally, I'm happy to go anywhere, you know, <laughs> in terms of conversation. So that said, it is a, a subject that I know very little on. And so mm -hmm. I, I would sort of feel pretty ill-equipped to, to be able to give them any useful information if they did have questions around it. But mm -hmm. I, what strikes me is more that it doesn't get brought up. It's, it strikes me that because it's a thing that, that women go through every month and, mm -hmm. and it's, different, it's different across the board. But for some of them, I know it's a very sort of disruptive experience, right? Like it, it changes mm -hmm. how you feel, it changes your energy levels, all of those things. So the fact that it doesn't come up in conversation when we're looking at a process like, hey, all right, yep, you got to keep getting stronger and here's the workouts and here are the sets. And I don't, I, I'm interested why, and I want to try and say this without sounding really ignorant, but I'm interested why the women that I train don't feel more forthcoming to bring it up themselves. Obviously, it's mm. something that I should be investigating as a coach. Um, mm -hmm. But being that it's something that they have to deal with, it strikes me as strange that it doesn't get brought up. Can you talk on what those, yeah. what those limitations or barriers are? Yeah, I think there might be a couple things. Like obviously every woman's experience is different. So I can't really speak to the individual women that you're working with. But like, I know for me, for example, the environment I came from was like elite athlete, like head down, get shit done. Doesn't matter how you feel. You go out and you train. Like that was how we did things. Right? Like, and so that kind of idea that you were going to actually pay attention to your hormones ago, actually today might not be a great day to do these intervals. You know, I think even now, a lot of my peers in who are still elite athletes will, would say, oh, hell no, I'm getting this done. Like my intervals might not be as good, but I'm going to go get it done. And I think, and, and they think that that's like, that's kind of like baked in sometimes to our performance mindset. Um, the other thing, and maybe this is kind of an equal and opposite is that I think sometimes we've internalized as women, this idea that like, that our hormone cycles make us weak, you know, and like we talk about even you and I in this conversation, like we're trying to have a good conversation about this, but it's hard not to talk about like off days. Like I said it myself, like I would have a couple off days, right. At the end of my luteal phase, et cetera. Right. Like we need to reframe how we have that conversation too, like to not think that like our hormone cycles are actually a weakness, but that actually it's a strength so that we can like, like there are, are there things we can do? For example, can I not feel off on those two days by certain, by doing certain things with nutrition or by 
creating my training in a different, you know, instead of doing like three days hard, one day easier, however we do our training programs, like, can we write the training program better so that I can get stronger on the right days? Um, there's lots of things we can do that are like positive manipulations of how we do the training and nutrition. And I'm not a scientist, so I don't know exactly what those things are, but I'm, I'm guessing that for at least some of the women that you work with, they will feel like that menstrual cycle is a weakness and they probably are like, you know, like I would have been like that 10 years ago, I would have said, no, I don't care. I'll just, I'll just get it done. And it wasn't until I had a couple of raises just like where I just completely like flopped just really badly. Like I ran a marathon an hour slower than I would have, than I was fit to do, you know, where I thought, oh, actually, you know what? I should try to make sure I don't race on certain days of the month. Um, so I think it's that, I think it's like changing, maybe shifting, starting with yourself. And I would start with myself too, like shifting your own, like what are my belief systems around the menstrual cycle? And how can I turn it into a positive to create a positive framework for that conversation? Can you talk to me about your, your time as a, you were a pro triathlete? I was, yeah, for 14 years. Wow. That's a, that's a <laughs> long time in the game. Yeah. It sounds long to me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about what, what that was like. You've, you've mentioned that you had the, the sort of push through mentality and just get it done, but talk on maybe some of those hurdles that you faced you know, as a woman engaging in a sport like that, that doesn't really take into account certain cycles that you have to deal with. Yeah. Well, you know, triathlon in general has been like a fairly great sport to be in as a woman. I'm sorry. We like have equal prize money. We always have, you know, we have, we get a lot of media attention. I had opportunities with sponsors that I might not have had if I was like, if I played American football or something. You were a pro triathlete um 14 years you said which is a long time in the game could mm -hmm. you talk to me about and and i suppose not just the not just the menstrual cycle but you know from a nutrition perspective from a recovery perspective what are some of the what are some of the things that you you can look back now and think wow i i really didn't that wasn't managed in the best way that it could have been yeah that's an interesting question there's like there's layers to it right so from a nutrition standpoint for example I can remember playing around a lot with things like actually try to improve our fat burning. So sometimes that meant um, like not eating carbohydrate and we do these periods of like, say 24 hours, we did sessions and we didn't eat carbs. We'd eat, we'd eat a lot of protein and fat in that time, like just in the middle of hard training, but to create that like glycogen deficit, that would be bigger than what you would do if you just ate carbs after and recovered properly from your sessions. Um, and I think about that now, like without any, like we were doing all that based on studies that didn't include women at all. Right. So like there were some times when like, and I didn't know why, but like the next morning, like if I had recovered in the evening with only say we would have like salmon and eggs, like a big omelet for dinner, that would be a typical thing that I would have on that day. The next morning I'd just have coffee and go for a long run. And, um, I, I, sometimes it would be amazing. Like I would feel great and I would definitely get that like hyper response then when we ate carbs again, of course our muscles would like lap it up and we'd make really great adaptations. And other times that long run would just be like hell on wheels, like <laughs> the worst, right? And I think about it now and I'm like, that was probably just my hormone cycle and we didn't know, like there were probably certain times when I shouldn't have been doing that um, and we just didn't have the information. 
Um, whereas like my partner at the time, he was also a pro athlete and we were in Switzerland training. So we'd go like the long run would be like two, three hours in the Swiss Alps. Right. And we'd be, and he just gets so <laughs> annoyed with me sometimes because suddenly like I, of the two of us, I was like relatively speaking better at running so we could run together normally. And I would just sometimes that last hour I'd be dragging my feet, um, barely able to run. Uh, so it's pretty clear now why, um, but that's a nutrition example. I have other examples, like the ones I just said to you about like times when I would go to a race, like I would do an entire race build, spend four months getting ready. The race would be on a certain day that just happened to hit the wrong day of my cycle. And so I wish that we had had information to go, okay, like either don't race on that day or figure out what we need to do in order for me to perform on that day. Um, the third example I have is one like more about kind of like the mental health thing is like, I was, I'm celiac and I didn't know that for like, I was a pro triathlete for eight years before I realized I was celiac and my body used to like the way that I would gain and lose weight. Wasn't, um, do you say like, it didn't seem to form any pattern, you know, like sometimes I'd be like not eating very much. And then I would like gain a ton of weight or I'd look puffy, you know, and like holding a lot of water and carbs, or I'd get super lean sometimes like, and it was, I wasn't even trying, you know, and in retrospect, like, I think that potentially my coach at the time assumed that I had some kind of eating disorder <laughs> um, because so many elite athletes do. And I always like, he would try to like softly, like looking back, I'm like, Oh, he was trying to broach that with me. And I'd always say, well, no, like I don't. And I didn't. Um, <laughs> and then he didn't think to say like, to go, oh, maybe we should look into it. Like maybe, so then later I found out I was celiac. I'm like, oh, this all makes sense. Like suddenly everything started to make sense. Um, but I think like there's that cultural piece too. Like there was, and it's not really his fault. Like I don't blame that coach, but we have, he probably had a lot of experience. There's a lot of endurance athletes who struggle with eating disorders, right? That was probably his experience. And he was just like, I've seen this pattern before. This is probably what it is. Um, so I just wish he'd gone, oh wait, let's try to figure this out you know? Yeah. Could you talk on the feisty media, which is your company that you founded? Um, uh, as I understand, I had to listen to some of your podcasts, which I, I mentioned, I really enjoyed. Oh, amazing. What did you listen to? I listened to the first one where you had the, where you had the panel on. Oh yeah. And then, uh, the one that I was listening to last night was well, not last night, yesterday morning, um, was the, um, you had a woman on that was talking about, uh, diet culture. Oh, uh, Taylor, yes. Taylor Tracy. Yeah, yeah. she was great. Mm -hmm. um, what I liked there was that you, you, you made the point that empowering women is if, uh, empowering active women is a thing. It's important, but that creating, this goes back to what you said in the intro, creating the culture for empowering women is, is sort of more important because it's about, it's, it's more of a long-term sustainable sort of solution. You're creating a, a movement that people can, can be a part of rather than just going, Hey, you should try and, you know, whatever, be more confident in what you do or own it or you yeah. know, whatever those mantras are. Totally. Can you talk to me about how, how that company works to actually do that? How do you, how do you create such a culture? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I did like, we have a quarterly meeting with like, we call it the all teams meeting with all like my staff. I have a lot of like part-time contractors who just do, they might just host one podcast or something like that. So we have a meeting, the all teams meeting. And I thought I should really kind of try to unpack this like 
how we are trying to create an empowering culture because that's like actually like what does that even mean <laughs> right um and so some of the things that like some of the things that i came up with were like just the idea of like telling our stories i think is really impactful like sometimes you suffer alone in something that you don't realize that like everyone else is feeling the same thing so that's where the podcasts come in um, and I think, like, as we talked about, you know, it's only 6% of exercise science studies from 2014 to 2020 anyway, that were done on women, right? right. So like, how do we even know what studies to do? Like those, this, the questions even for the studies are going to come out of women's experiences themselves, right? Or even with things like product design, that's where it's like, oh, somebody has to be the first person to say like, oh, the product design's not working. Like I'm chafing in this weird way in this, you know, in this kit or whatever it is. And other people go, oh yeah. And then we have new product design. So I think that storytelling piece can actually create like a domino effect. Um, the other one is about like changing ourselves. Cause I think like a big part of culture, we need culture. Like culture is something we can't just like remove ourselves from culture, right? Otherwise it would just be chaos. Like we have to label the world, name how things work so that we can communicate with each other and that kind of thing. Um, but also it means that we've like internalized some of the norms of our culture or all of the norms of our culture. And so it's kind of, there's an introspective piece to it as well saying like, okay, if I like, what are the things that I've internalized? What do I believe about female performance? Do I think women could be X, Y, and Z? How physically capable do I think women are? Like how great do I think we could be? Like just looking at our own internal belief systems um, and encouraging other people to do that too. I think that like that goes a long way. And then also finding our community, right? So it's like when we're um, finding groups, like for example, we have a feisty menopause podcast, right? And I didn't realize it. I, re I knew there was a gap in information for women in menopause but I did not realize how big that gap was until we launched this podcast. And it just like, it just went crazy, right? And it's because like active women specifically in menopause had no one talking to them at all and like nowhere to tell their experiences. So we have the podcast, but then we also create a community like a membership group around that too, so that those women can, so that women can talk to each other and share their experiences. So community is a big part of it as well. Um, and I think a last one that I've seen in terms of changing culture is to like actually be willing to meet people where they're at right so that's why like i love like i loved your question earlier about coaching women right because it's like um it's not just like it's not just like i know everything and i know all the changes that need to happen and like women have all different experiences there's like four billion ways to be a woman <laughs> in the world right like i don't know i don't have the answers like i'm just going to like for to a certain extent you have to listen and hear and understand. Um, and, and that's like, so that's part of like what we do as well. Like when someone, it's always that like calling in instead of calling out, like I'm like, I try to stay away from like a kind of, um, that kind of like angry narrative, right? And instead say like, okay, like someone has a belief that's different than mine. And I wanna know like, I want to hear about it. Like, I want to know, I'm going to meet them where they're at and potentially kind of like speak to them there from there instead of like, no, you have to believe everything I believe in order to be a good person. Cause that's just dumb. Yeah. It makes sense. It's a good way to push people mm -hmm. away when you come in with the, with the heavy kind of dogma, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like, you know, like on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, just like attacking. It's like, that is not, 
that's not to me that's not a change making strategy yeah well it's it's interesting you mentioned that because i do think that like say the the just the topic anything related to gender is and, and, and well we're not actually talking about gender here we're not you know it's not like men versus women kind of thing but Hmm. I do find that anytime that conversation gets raised, it it often really ignites people. Like a lot of people get triggered over it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I have the experience of like, sometimes I think because people know that I'm running feisty media, they see me as a feminist and I am, and like, they're kind of scared <laughs> to like bring up certain conversations or whatever. So I'm always glad when I can um, convince them that like, no, like, let's just have a conversation. Um, yeah, I'm stoked. You haven't torn my head off yet. <laughs> well i was about to no. <laughs> let's see if i can slip up over the next 40 minutes yeah this is, this is just give me your best shot you know <laughs> uh that's really cool i the the culture piece i i is interesting to me because my my gym and i'm, I'm not you know i don't care to tell you all about it but we we have a really strong culture in our gym and that's what we're known for and it's known for being a really inclusive fun um unique space we have you know really wild christmas parties and social events and it brings out this side of people that they find themselves being quite surprised at, like holy shit like look what this place has done to me sort of thing and it it all comes down to the culture of the gym um and so we often try to articulate amongst ourselves what it is that that creates a culture and it's not always an easy thing to put your finger on. You, you know, the, you mm -hmm. have your messaging, podcasting, social media, you have social events, things like that, that, that do sort of direct it. But it's also something a little bit, uh, I don't know what the word is, but ephemeral to it where you can't, you know, like how do I, how do I actually define what the culture is? Mm -hmm. um, so it's cool to see organizations like yours that are, that are crafting your own and largely through the online space, I'm guessing, like you, mm -hmm. it's mostly digital, uh, events and whatnot. Am I, am I right in assuming so? Yeah, that's right. We have a lot of online events, like virtual summits. Um, we do have a couple in person, like we have a women in triathlon summit. We have a gravel bike festival for women coming up in April. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's mostly online. Could you tell me, uh, in terms of the, the women that are part of feisty media or are in your community? Are they, do they tend to be the performance kind of triathlete endurance athletes type thing? Or do you, do you, you know, do you find that you've got crossfitters in there and weightlifters and, you know, and perhaps women who are not even engaging in a training process yet and whatnot? Yeah, it's, it's changing. So we started, like I was a triathlete. So our feisty triathlon brand and our podcast called iron women, that those were the first things that we did. So we have a lot of triathletes that are still with us everywhere. Um, and we have a lot of cyclists too, because Celine, who runs the feisty menopause podcast, she's, it's called hip play, not pause. Um, she's, she came from cycling, you know, she's a fitness writer, but as we've been growing and moving more into like menopause broadly as a topic and women's performance as a topic, we found we've attracted more. So we have some CrossFitters now. Um, I know and we have, you're a CrossFitter yourself these days. I, I am. Yes. <laughs> I am a very, very amateur CrossFitter, but yes. Um, and we had like, you know, at our summit last year at our women's performance summit, we had some rowers. Um, we had, I was quite surprised and we had some folks who like, were just 
active. They could just did say hiking or I shouldn't say just hiking because hiking get really hard, sometimes. <laughs> but who were like, you know, who just like to move, they wouldn't necessarily identify as an athlete. Yeah. So that's part of what we talk about too. Like if you, um, if you move, you're an athlete kind of like to help people like own that identity too. Um, cause especially women, I think sometimes tend to like, Oh, I'm not an athlete. I just, I just do triathlons on the side. You're like, you're an athlete, you know, or I just run a 5k. Nope. You're an athlete. Um, so that's part of how we message it too. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, you said about your gym culture. Um, that's really, I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday, like, can something truly be actually inclusive and like what the space, like a hundred percent inclusive and like what spaces do we actually want to be inclusive and what do we not? Right. Cause I, I go to a CrossFit gym that sounds a lot like what you're describing. That's like a community. Right. And I go there and I think like, these are my people. Like, I love it here, you know? Um, and there's everyone from like the beginner 60 something who's never worked out in her life you know, to like former elite athletes like myself or people who have gone to the CrossFit games um, and everybody just kind of, but at the same time, it's still like, it's still, I feel like it's my people for a reason, right? Like there's some spaces or we're creating, another example is we're creating a like women's space, women's, a lot of them are women's only spaces, right? That we're creating, like we're actually actively saying like, <laughs> like we're, we only want to talk to women here in this certain community or like when you're making a community of menopause, like that's a community that has a definition. It's exclusive. It. Yeah. It's exclusive. Like we're like intentionally excluding people, <laughs> right? And like, it's like understanding where you want that. So like, if you're, if you're joining a, if you're a menopause community, then sure, like it's okay to be exclusive sometimes. Or if like other things like, you know, we have some partnerships with sports federations and stuff. And I think that like the folks who are in charge of a sport, like broadly or in a country, they should be really concerned about inclusion, right? Like they should, like those, like people, everyone should have access to be able to do a sport. Doesn't matter where you come from, how you, so there's certain spaces that need to be one way or another. And I think that we need to like, not assume that like everybody needs to absolutely feel like they belong everywhere. You know, that's a great point. Yeah. I think as you were saying that I was realizing we do exclude, uh, douchebags for the most part, Yeah, and if you kind of have douchey qualities, then it's not the space for you. Yeah, um, totally. Or another friend of mine had an experience where like in a gym where she's trying to, um, you say like, like she's kind of a little bit competitive in how she works out. Like she likes that thing of like putting your time on the board and like going head to head, but they had tried, they were creating a non-competitive environment. Right. And there, it was like, this is inclusive to everyone. And she actually was like, Oh, well, it's not inclusive to me. Right. And that's okay. Like, yeah. so she just changed, changed gyms. So like sometimes those things are okay to define. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I do think it's, um, I think that's the beauty in, in you have different gyms and, uh, you know, jujitsu is a big part of my life and you, you can go to different jujitsu academies and it's like, it's, it can be chalk and cheese between them. And some of mm. them are really well, you know, if you yeah, same thing, if you're hyper competitive, this is a great gym for you, but maybe not this one. Cause this one here is relaxed and you're not going to get, mm. you know, you're not going to tick that box. So yeah, mm -hmm. I think, I think that diversity is important. Um, I suppose the, the inclusion piece, I suppose diversity is a better word for it when I think about mm -hmm. it, you know, and as long as it, for, for an organization like ours, and I'm guessing for yours too, 
as long as people are open and, and willing to mm. sort of take on new ideas and discuss things and, and have a good conversation and learn, that kind mm -hmm. of makes them fit for the community. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, can we, can I dive into some, and I know you said, you know, you, you're not, this is not necessarily your area of expertise. The, the way I see it is you have a good, uh, a good general understanding of the of women's performance. And um, I think it's important to mention for people listening that when we're saying performance here, we're not talking about performing at that elite level. So mm. it's really just performance could be you go to the gym twice a week and mm -hmm. you would like to get the most out of the the two one hour sessions you spend there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then maybe you got to do a bunch of work and you got to look after family and that is in its entirety, that is performance and you can do it well mm -hmm. or you can do it not so well or there's a spectrum there. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's really important for, for because I, I do agree with what you said. I, I the, the use of the word athlete means different things to different people. And for a lot of folks, they're like, oh, no, I'm just a hobbyist or I just do a bit of fitness here and there. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, if you are investing some time in your physical development, then there is an aspect of performance and you are trying to get the most out of that. And that's relevant to how you eat and how you recover and whatnot. Yeah, we spent a lot of time actually talking about language in terms of when we started the new podcast, especially like, are we going to call it women's performance podcast, which we ultimately did end up but for the exact reasons you just said, because it's like, we know, like, not everyone's going to identify with that at the beginning, but we decided instead to go with that message like performances for every woman kind of message like which was like all around our launch we kind of uh, really put that message out there because I think it's important for like. Like I would want to, I would want to give that to women, like to be, um, to think that performance is for them. Um, and also I know like as a former elite athlete who now only trains, like I exercise like one hour or less per day now. And I know that like how I recover from that and how I maintain my energy and what I do nutritionally for the rest of the day and how I sleep, et cetera, all matters to like how well I do my job. And like you said, like how well I, how much attention I have for my daughter or my partner or whoever, you know, so, um, it's all performance. Yeah. So can I pick your brain on some of the, like some of the specifics around this and, and, and as mentioned, this is not necessarily your field of expertise, but being that I'm coming to this conversation at a very low level, I'm extremely happy for you to just give me a general response. Um, for sure. you know, and sort of going back to that idea of, we're not even having these discussions in the gym about um, a, a woman's hormone fluctuations during a month. So mm -hmm. really, I, I, you know, the, the, the general stuff is almost the, what needs to be addressed first. Mm -hmm. Could you talk to me about the, about periods, menstrual cycle and how that affects training? So, you know, we, you've mentioned there's, there's obviously the, the, the high hormone phase, low hormone phase. But what does that, and I know it's different for each person, but what does that often equal uh, in terms of how that month might play out? Yeah. So, okay. The first part of the month, like from the first day that you get your period through, it's about 14 to 21 days for, for most women. Um, that's like, I'm now calling it like the superwoman phase. Cause like, that's the follicular phase where you will, you will feel strong. It's a really good time to do like high end intervals, for example. Um, and get a really good adaptive response to lifting or yeah, interval training. Um, and then some, I know a lot of women just from 
talking to people have will have like a day or two when they're ovulating where that's completely off, like where they just don't feel right. Um, and so if you can, if you are like the kind of person who wants to track it, you can figure out when that's coming or you can just do like I do is like go hard all the days that you want to, and then take it easy when you want to and it averages out. <laughs> um, and then in the luteal phase, like that's when your hormones start to drop. And so you don't like, you generally, generally don't feel as good right down to like what we like used to call PMS and, and is associated with that moodiness, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's just because our hormones are doing wacky stuff, like before we start menstruating again. So those would be for me, when I was an athlete, those would be the worst days, like the two days right before my period. Like sometimes I didn't, I didn't even know cause I didn't track. Like I didn't know the only reason I knew my period was coming was cause I was like, Oh, I feel really flat. Like that's how I felt. Um, I know that you can like by focusing on recovery um, and getting proper nutrition in after, for example, like the regular stuff, like getting in protein and carbs within 15 minutes and like having a meal within that two hour window after training, like the kinds of things that you'll hear any nutritionist or dietitian tell you, like you can maintain energy a lot better um, and paying attention to those things. So I think, yeah, just like making sure all the T's across and the I's are dotted during that, those times of month can, can really be helpful. And so on that, the, the nutrition piece, you said the 15 minutes, I understand <laughs> that that is that the, the sort of window there for replenishment is different to what men would to, for males. I think for males, it's like 30 to 60 minutes. And that's kind of what we've always peddled in the fitness industry. Mm. Can you talk on that for me? Yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting because like I always use 15 minutes because like I was trying to, you know, I was sometimes doing three sessions a day. So I was just trying to get to the next session in one piece, like give me some carbs as quick as possible, yeah. you know? Um, so I always try to eat right away or have like a sports drink with me. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'm not, again, like I'm not an expert on that stuff, but um, I do think that like women need to pay more attention. Also, like as women age, like from age 30, we start to lose muscle mass. We know that. So, and it gets worse after 50. And so like that, the, our protein needs just start to go way up and especially recovering. Right. Um, and then also like our need, this is another one. Oh, you asked me before about things I wish I'd known in my career. Like I wish I had done more strength training, right? Like I'm like not a natural strength athlete. I do CrossFit now. I can attest to that um, for sure. But I was like a cardio, almost like a machine, you know? So I was like constantly just using my cardio when my muscles would like I would like gear down on my bike and spin fast as I can <laughs> up a hill. Right. Like somebody should have got, Hey, maybe you should do more squats. <laughs> like, and now I'm like stronger. I'm like 46 years old. I'm stronger than I've ever been, which is weird. Cause wow. I was an elite athlete for 14 years. Right. So like that, like, I think we need to recognize that like women actually do need to lift, like probably even metabolically, even more than men do. Um, in terms of like maintaining our muscle mass and staying strong and feeling good again for that, like for that performance for every woman piece, right? Like it's not about looking a certain way. It's about feeling good. Absolutely. The, the post-training thing, um, it, do you tend to do that? You know, and this is just how, how you do it. Do you, even these days post CrossFit, do you do that with liquid like, is it liquid protein and carbohydrate, like a shake and, and a bit of, you know, whatever, banana or something, or like, how do you get that nutrition in? Yeah. Sometimes I do. Like I, I have a protein drink called Rumble. That's a Canadian company that, that I work with here. So like I'll often have, Oh, I have it here. 
Oh. <laughs> I'll often have like one of them oh, um, oh, just with me. Good. It's easy because it's pre-made. Yeah. This is like my working busy mom dream. Like shaking, <laughs> like shaking up like a protein drink. That's too much for me. Like I'm not getting out the Vitamix. <laughs> like yeah. So, you know, or sometimes like, oh, I do, I do silly things, but I have, like, I even just I sometimes get like blood sugar issues. So I just like carry candy with me and make sure that like I have like I could have a couple like a little bit of candy before I can get like my proper breakfast in. So I do like little bits of what I used to do as an elite athlete to make sure that my energy is stable. So I think if you're like if I'm talking to someone, if someone's looking for advice and they maybe work out a couple hours a day, but then they go to a job, especially if they work out in the morning, like I've always like, yes, have a protein drink after like in a very short window because you're not because you're trying to recover for another session you kind of are but but because you're just trying to maintain your energy like you don't want to hit nap time at 2 p.m right yeah could you talk on what those uh talk to me about like carbohydrates and these nutrition differences between men and women and i guess the something to frame this off for, you know, to give you an idea of the culture here, which I'm guessing is very much the same as, as there in, in um, Western Canada. But a lot of the, a lot of the fitness culture here is, was very strongly influenced by paleo. And I've, I've heard you mm -hmm. talk about this on, you know, on your podcast, uh, obviously keto is a big thing now, intermittent fasting, you know, there's all these different things and they're all whatever they have their benefits and their, their drawbacks. But one of the the major drawbacks that I see is that they've they've influenced one they've influenced people on the whole to eat less carbohydrates so they've sort of mm -hmm. um you know made made carbohydrates evil um and as i understand men can get away with it a little bit easier with having less carbs whereas at certain times women cannot or they pay mm -hmm. a, a higher price could you could you talk on that piece yeah that's certainly been true to my experience that anyone i know who've done who's done keto paleo or tried to do intermittent fasting while training for something or doing an exercise is doing exercise has not gone well for women. Um, yeah, I, I like, it's hard because like there's some science now, like I know there's, some, there's a couple studies about intermittent fasting related to women showing that it doesn't work as well. There's a couple showing that that there's another, at least another one study showing that may not be true. Um, but one thing like to keep in mind for everyone is that you're like the exercise is like creating an extra load like being fasted right so if you're fasting for like fasting works really really well for people who don't move at all right because yeah. like your your body uses carbs in their in your muscles and your brain and your brain doesn't need that much to function right so if you're a sedentary person of course you're going to lose weight if you stop eating carbs because you're like you didn't have anywhere to put those carbs in the first place because you're sedentary so like that was just storing right if you're an active person you need to have carbs to like to fuel your muscles, right? So it's like getting that balance straight. Um, I saw, I, I think that there's like, I think it's individual, right? So when we don't have the real information for, we don't have like enough scientific information for women to know. So I think it's that like, like listening to your body piece that's like, that's really important. So even for men, like, I talked actually a friend of mine who does jujitsu, he calls me up and he's like, I'm feeling like crap in all of my sessions. I can't lift. I'm like, what are you eating? I know he just eats steak for dinner and nothing else. Basically he's on the steak diet. And I was like, dude, I'm like, I don't know if you're going to hear this, but like 
just have like half a yam with your steak. (laughs) Just, just try a little bit of like, so I, like I could see, like he was kind of suffering from LEA, like low energy availability. And that's like, and I knew it because I've just seen so many women like suffering from that too. Um, I think as women also, we are like, we've internalized this idea around like eating less calories just in general. So we're like always trying to be like small, like culturally it's like, it's like weight loss culture is just run rampant, you know, for like, for so many years that like, and like anything to help us eat less, like somehow that's good. I don't know. I think it's dumb, but um, you can see how like it layers on to like, if you're trying to not eat, if you're trying to eat as few of cal- as few calories as possible, and then you stop eating carbs and then you layer on intermittent fasting, someone can end up in a calorie deficit pretty quickly. I see a, um, just as a, cause I agree with you that, that listen, like listening to what your body wants is, is an important part of it. But from personal experience, I find that uh, it's often hard to hear what, what the body wants. Mm-hmm. I like, I'm a kind of person, I don't need to eat a lot. I don't have a huge appetite generally. And mm-hmm. because I really like working and I get quite caught up in what I'm doing and focused, it's very easy for me just to sort of power through and not eat. Um, you know, you layer on top of that. I'm probably a little bit over caffeinated, like a lot of us are. And mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of masks appetite to an extent. And then you've got the, the, the sort of the, the cortisol release when you, you know, of intense training, like say after jujitsu, most people yeah. aren't hungry after jujitsu because you're still so you're in such a sympathetic nervous state, um, that your you know, your body's still so jacked up that it's really easy to just think, oh, I'm not that hungry. And mm-hmm. chronically what that can become over time is that you're just grossly under eating. So I know for me, anytime I actually look at it and I try and track my calories and whatnot, it always is this glaring thing telling me, dude, you need to eat more food. Um, mm-hmm. and so I find, yeah, I find, uh, I guess I see that for some of those changes and, and I, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm talking, you know, in context here about women that, that sometimes you, I feel like you need to force, not force, but you kind of need to make yourself do those things for a little while. Like, Hey, yeah. eat, eat more food, eat carbohydrates, just, just do it for a couple of weeks. And then you'll find all of a sudden that your appetite has kind of recalibrated to mm-hmm. this input. Yeah. I, you know, I struggle to eat in the morning and now that I'm not training anymore, cause I was used to that. I was used to like training hard in the morning, like having a little snack, training hard and then being hungry. And now I could get up and if, like, just not be hungry till noon. Right. So I had to train myself a little bit to eat in the morning. Otherwise I'd end up, but I definitely had a, there was a reason why I wanted to train myself to eat in the morning it was because I like later had um, challenges like energy challenges mid afternoon or especially in the evening, right? Where I wanted to be able to keep like keep either keep working in the evening or do something with my kid or just not just flake out and watch Netflix, right? Or make sure the house is clean or whatever, right? Um, so I think, I don't know, I'd be curious, like for you, like you said, you like judge yourself as not eating enough, but did you ever have any other effects or anything else like did you notice well interestingly i was uh, i've spoken about this before but i was i was over training and under eating and as a result i was really muscular and extremely lean and mm-hmm. you know i looked great i was also in my my mid to late 20s so i could get away with just you know sort of not having all of these things aligned um, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, in terms of what we want from training, it's, it's often like, well, that's what I want. I want to look 
you know, particularly for a guy, I want to look muscular. I want to have a six pack. I want to, you know, and so I had all that, but then I, I look back and I realize, man, but I was also fucking tired all the time mm. and I didn't sleep enough. And you know what? Maybe if I had have just eaten a bit more and maybe my six pack wouldn't have been quite as visible, but I would have performed better and gotten more from my strength training and generally had a, a happier disposition towards life. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so, and, and it's kind of that, that parad that paradox of like, well, okay. Yeah. You, maybe you looked a certain way, but you weren't actually living the way you wanted to. Yeah. And I'm not even sure it's true that you wouldn't have had that six pack. Like, because I think like, if you felt better during training, you might just do that a little bit more. And then you're burning those carbs anyway, or you're going a little bit more intensely because carbs help us with high end stuff. Right. So it's like, you might've found that it did balance out for you that you, you know, that you looked the same. Yeah. It's a really good point. Mm -hmm. But so I guess, you know, I see, I, you know, having experienced that and, you know, when I talk about it, it's not like it was a traumatic experience. It was awesome. I looked great. I was training really hard. You know, I, I had a great time, but I, I see other people in the gym setting and I, and, you know, women, men, and I, I, I see them going through a similar thing and it's, mm -hmm. you know, and I think about, I'm, I generally consider myself not to be hyper influenced by fitness culture or whatever, even though I am to an extent, it's hard, you know, it's impossible not to be, but I see people who I think are probably influenced more. And then I think, well, fuck, you know, is that person under eating? Do they need to be getting more food in? I know that with um, uh, quite a few women that I've worked with in the past and given them some sort of guidance on their nutrition, I'm not a nutritionist, so it's just sort of general sort of advice. But mm -hmm. the main thing I've encountered is that they, they, they were all under eating. And the, the really confusing part was, was that they were often carrying more body fat than they wanted to, mm -hmm. but they were under eating. And so we got them to eat more food. And then all of a sudden they started to lose body fat and feel better. And yeah, isn't that interesting? Like the whole calories in calories out situation like just doesn't play out especially for women with our hormones right so it's like you have to feel like you have to be fueling your metabolism properly in order for it to work right? and so what is that is that just is that a case of you are the, the 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 lower calorie thing is generally you're not getting the nutrition that you need i think so again like i don't know really i just know from experience from from myself and from seeing lots of female elite athletes, like if you, like we train better in a fed state, right? Like that's like, everyone knows what it feels like, I think to have eaten properly, be properly fueled and then go do a workout and you can get that extra, like sometimes even like 10 or 20% out of yourself, right? Like versus, and if you just like repeat that, like it's going to go better, <laughs> right? I, I don't know, like, I do know that I don't know what it is specifically about our hormones. You'd have to go to Dr. Stacey Sims book for, uh, to try to find that. I'm sure it's in there, but like. I started that. It, it's, a big, it's a thick book. I mean, as in it's thick in information. Yeah, totally. So Celine, who actually took Stacey science and wrote that book for, she's actually the host of our hit play, not pause uh, menopause podcast. Okay. Um, and she's really, really good at taking, like taking, if you think it's thick and dense, like taking actually Stacy's science and turning it into something that's like readable for the average human like you and I. Yeah. Right on. Um, on that, just uh, because I think Stacy Sims is pretty well known, at least, you know, uh, most of the, the, the fitness kind of enthusiast women I've spoken to know of her book and know of her. What's mm -hmm. your, how do you two work together? What's your relationship with what she does? 
So we, we work very closely together. Actually, she came five years ago to one of our first summits. We have a summit called the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. And we asked her to come speak. And I had heard of her because some of my friends were working with her, like female pro athlete friends. And she was kind of known in our circles, but like the world didn't know her. And when she came to the summit, we were like trying to tag her on social media when she was saying all these great things on stage. And we were like, and we realized like she had this Instagram page with like 400 followers. She hadn't posted in two years. And, and it was like, and her last post was like, I always laugh about this at her post. Her last post was like um, a picture of a United Airlines baggage carousel and her complaining about how the baggage hadn't come up fast enough. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, so we, um, my business partner, Ashley said to me, like, I think we should pitch Stacey on doing her social media for her. Right. Ah. Like she's like, let's, let's do this. Like, I think we could. So we did. And we started doing her Instagram page and Facebook. Um, and then a year in, she were like, I think this can be like a movement, <laughs> you know? Um, and so we just worked closely with Stacey to try to get the information that she had out to like through her courses. And so she made the courses of course, um, to get those out to the world. So now you can take like the women are not small men course and the menopause for athletes course that she does, which is like really dense with like scientific information. Um, so yeah, so she is like, I don't know. I think it was this like amazing serendipitous thing where it's not that many times you meet someone in your life that you're like, your message is so great that I'm like personally want to take it to the world. Yeah. Oh, that, that is cool. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's funny to think that there's a huge portion of people that just don't exist on social media, of course. But when you realize <laughs> yeah. that, wow, that person, they've got all this great stuff and they're not even sharing it through Instagram. It, 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 yeah. 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 It was like such a real, like, it was like weird. It was like hard to even tag her. Cause like, is this her? Everybody kept asking like, where's Stacey on social? Like, I, <laughs> um, yeah, we had her on our Iron Women podcast, like, I don't know, it was at least five years ago as well. And that it was like around when like not Stacy wasn't on, now she does, you know, 40 podcasts a year or whatever, but, but then she didn't. And so um, that podcast just went like our numbers were like quadrupled to what, um, to the other, our other podcast numbers, because people were just like, holy crap, like all this information they didn't know. Uh, how cool. Could you talk to me about some of the recovery considerations relevant to relevant to female performance? So, you know, we sort of touched on, on a bit of the nutritional piece. Um, we sort of touched on like the, 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 you know, the, the menstrual cycle, but are there different, and, and this can be from personal experience or what you've noticed the women around you, are there different considerations when it comes to recovery? So the other aspect, you know, sleep, um, down regulation, those sorts of things. Yeah, I think it's hard to know what's about being female and what's about like just, you know, it's like hard because again, because we don't have the information, like the studies like actually barely exist anyway. So we don't know. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think for me, like I noticed that I needed, like I needed a lot of like downtime between sessions. So I was like an eat, sleep, like eat, sleep, train kind of person. Um, and I noticed that some of my male counterparts would have more consistent energy just 
automatically. And I had to really focus to have that consistent energy through the day. Like when I started my pro career, I was working on my PhD in, in, in Scotland and I needed to be able to have my brain use of my brain during the day. And so I had to make sure like I had the right nutrition in um, to like, and I, I feel like some of the guys around me were getting, getting away with more than, than I was. Um, you know, it's hard to know. I think there's a lot of like social factors too, like for, like we talked about like performances for every woman. So there's like, we know that women still take on like the bulk of like childcare or like work in the home, that kind of stuff. And so I think it's like, there's a mental piece for sure that I know that like, like just like letting some of that go or being able to ask for help or saying to your partner, Hey, no, we're 50, 50 in this, like let's divide up the tasks in the house. Um, so I think a lot of those social things too, just like acknowledging like where that internalized expectation comes from and how it affects like how much energy we have at certain times and how we recover. Could you speak on uh, looking at, looking at gym culture as, as you see it, and maybe this plays out at the CrossFit gym you train at, or, you know, more sort of observations of other gyms that are perhaps less progressive that, you know, mm-hmm. most CrossFit or small independent gyms are doing a pretty good job when you compare it to mm-hmm. the great fitness industry, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Could you speak on what some of the, maybe what some of the mistakes are that you see, um, you know, for women who are going in and engaging in the training process? Mm-hmm. some of the places where they go wrong or, or not where they go wrong, but where things could be done better. Yeah. I think I did it in, on the podcast. I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with Christy Moan and she's um, she owns a massive gravel race in here in the U S not here in the U S cause I'm Canadian, but <laughs> here in North America. Is that, and, is, um, gravel, is that like a downhill mountain biking thing or. Oh yeah. So gravels is like massive. It's like, it's like riding on essentially like riding on gravel roads. So you're on like kind of like a cross bike almost like it's a hybrid between like a mountain bike and a road bike. And you ride on like a lot of the dirt roads, sometimes like single track, but it's just not as technical as mountain biking. Okay. Um, so gravel riding. Yeah. It's really cool. And it's like a mat right now. It's like having a revolutionary moment in North America because the cyclists were annoyed. Sorry, we're on a tangent now, but like cyclists were annoyed with the riding on the road. A lot of people were being hit. The roads are more busy. You know, like if you're a cyclist, you know, a friend who's either been injured or killed on the road. And so gravel just provides an alternative to that. And a lot of people just took to it right away. Um, and what she said about being inclusive for women, I think is like something we could all learn from um, as women and as anyone who like owns a gym or a race, whatever that like, it's not just about like, it's not just about saying, okay, like anyone can sign up because you, if you own a gym, you can say like any woman can come to my gym, right. Or anyone, anybody can come to my gym, but that sometimes we actually need to, um, help certain people like invite people. Okay. So it's a 200 mile race. So, So what she did was she opened up 200 slots just for women and what that meant like with some of these races you have to be online at a certain time even to get in right but so for women that might mean they like if they're doing childcare or they have like it's just like slightly busier like they're not sitting at a desk in an office necessarily to sign up for the race like it meant that like a lot of men were getting those slots and when she saved spots for the women women actually signed up so it's like the first thing that she did was just like it's just like a little tweaking she also created some content on her site around like 
as a woman, like how you pee at the side of the road, because the races are unsupported. So there's not like, so it was like how you take your bib shorts off so that you can like squat without being seen, like this kind of thing. <laughs> um, and just like helping people, like getting good information. And I think that that is like, that was like an extra, I just felt like that's really, really good advice for anyone who wants to create that. It's like, it's like if you have a space where someone, any group has been historically excluded, like you might need to do some kind of special invite or give them information because they don't automatically see themselves as belonging there. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I think in terms of, I think you were kind of asking too, like, what would I, like, what I would say to women too? Like, I think I would say, I don't know, like, just like own your shit. It's, it's like what I want to say to like, it's like, like we're better at like for the gravel riding, for example, like we're better at endurance sport, right? Or like one of the women who's speaking at our women's performance summit is um, she won outright the Trans Am bike race, like against she won. She was the first woman to win overall, right? So like a lot of that endurance stuff, like we can do really well. Um, but I think it's just like that kind of allowing that like your confidence to come through, like that you do belong somewhere. That's cool. Could you give, uh, could you give any sort of practical advice for, for coaches? So, you know, people like myself who are, who are working with women, as I mentioned at the start, I've never, I've never had a conversation around a woman's period, uh, even though it is, is like glaringly obvious that it's, it's an important thing to discuss if we're talking about a training process. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that you can open up communication about that thing? There's obviously a lot that goes mm-hmm. into it. Yeah, I would ask if they're okay. It's like if that's if it's okay to open that conversation first. That's where I would start instead of just saying, "Oh, hey, is is it because you have your period?" Like, because yeah. not everyone wants to talk about that, you know. Like, like even me, like I'm. There's a coach who runs my CrossFit gym who, like, he gives me lifting tips and he coaches me to some extent. But like, I'm not in that kind of relationship with him. Like, I don't want to talk about my period. <laughs> like during CrossFit, like, I just want to get on with it. I'm here for my like leisure activity. Um, So I think, but some people do, right. And some people like I have heard him have those conversations with people as well. Um, So I think you can just, the first thing I would do is just like straight up ask, like, is it okay if I ask you about your hormone cycle, you know? Um, And they might say, "Mm, no, I don't really want to talk about that. And that's okay. Um, so just to not be afraid to like, or to normalize that conversation, like it's okay to talk about that stuff. We, we see it in a lot of our women's groups online now, like 10 years ago, you'd never hear people talking about like, um, I don't know, things like comfort in their saddle. You know, we at the CrossFit, like the CrossFit examples are like, you know, having bladder issues. <laughs> like uh, double unders. <laughs> yeah like like we laugh about that we're like oh the mumpy haha like we just like it like when you normalize that conversation it becomes like it becomes normal um so i think like just yeah just like or watching for that opportunity to make like that's one thing i've seen some coaches do really well is like not mention anything but as soon as like i let on or someone like let's say that they might be interested in having that conversation either about hormones or about ways that like that, like how postpartum would affect women. Um, then to like, to take that as an opportunity, like, Oh, do you want to talk about that? Let's talk about that. Are you able to speak on the 
this is actually a question from my partner. If there's, uh, are the considerations different for perimenopausal women versus, and, and I don't actually, I, I understand that is a period before mm-hmm. menopause, um, mm-hmm. but, but do things change? So if you're looking at a, at a, at a female athlete, who's, you know, gone from training in a certain way up until their thirties, whatever. And then they enter a stage, perhaps I'm not sure where the age range is for, for perimenopause, but do things change or is it largely similar kind of rules, but just the, the individual experience is going to be different? Yeah. Yes. Things absolutely do change. Um, so for, in terms of, um, definitions, like menopause is the moment when you haven't had a period for one year, Okay. So like menopause happens in a day right? And perimenopause is all the fluctuating hormones, hot flashes, all the crap that's happening in the like, on average, it's seven years before that, but it's generally like five to seven years leading up to that, right? So the average age of menopause, at least in North America is 52. So Uh you go seven years before that, that's like a 45 year old woman, right? Uh, Who may or may not recognize that that's what's happening. And the conversation, uh, the conversation around menopause is improving, but it's not, there's a lot of things that aren't just like common knowledge about menopause, right? So I think some of the things like I'm in perimenopause a little bit right now. So some of the things I notice are that like, it's not like the, the days that I have off days or good days are like, it went from like, understanding that there was going to be a couple days before my period that would be off to like a complete, completely random. Like I might have like eight days in a row where I feel like crap. Um, and then I'll have, then I'll have like another good phase. So it's not, um, necessarily, uh, predictable, right. Because your hormones are changing at different rates, or I might have like a totally normal month. I've had a, I've had a series of totally normal months in a row here where I have, like, I feel off at the times of month that I expected to feel off given my entire athletic history and my history of being a woman. Uh, but like I, yeah. So, but before that I had like some random, really random symptoms. Um, the other thing is like, definitely like lifting heavy shit. That's like, that's Stacy's phrase, but definitely women, as we age, we need to lift heavy and we're going to respond better to like heavy training and like hits training, like the kinds of stuff that we do at CrossFit anyway. And also like plyometrics, that's why like, I love CrossFit because it, it just checks all the boxes with that. Yeah. Um, and that you can like maintain and increase your fitness off of that alone. Um, and like, we actually recommend women in perimenopause who, if you're not doing an endurance event, like you don't even really need those long cardio workouts for anything, unless you absolutely love them or are training for an event where that's, um, where that's needed. But like a lot of your training in terms of the things you're going to adapt to is going to come from like that higher intensity shorter stuff um hits training like i said and and lifting so yeah i think it's really important that i think all women in around that age should definitely be lifting and definitely doing some high intensity training yeah that's cool i i Mm -hmm. i i agree and i think that you make a good point the the sort of long endurancey type training is doesn't really have any huge benefit unless it's something that you like or unless it's specific to your sport. But mm-hmm. if you're looking just to get the best out of your body and the best out of your joints and performance, strength training and intervals are really where it's at. Totally. And that's really great news for those of us who love CrossFit or who run CrossFit gyms. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
talk to me about and and I, and I'm aware of your time, so I'm not going to keep it for too much longer. I know you've got you know plenty to get through this afternoon, uh, but with when you have an event that's coming up, and so yeah, and when I think about, it, I look at the members of our gym. We have you know it might be like a like an obstacle race kind of thing, like a mud run, or it could be a jiu-jitsu tournament. Mm-hmm. Obviously, for a woman can't choose how your cycle is, you know, when that thing's going to happen or how it's going to happen. How do you, how do you approach that? So let's say that, that, you know, the, the time when you typically feel at your worst just happens to be on the same day you need to compete. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you can do there to try and mitigate those, the, the, the doubt, you know, the negative effects? Mm-hmm. I definitely have all my recovery taken care of. Um, for sure. I also like, what I used to do, honestly, is um, use like birth control to like some kind of birth control to control when my so I knew when my cycle was. So a lot of the elite athletes I know have um, like low dose hormone IUDs or copper IUDs, which means that like, you know, that your cycle is going to come on like 28 days, right? Also an IUD, like I'm not a medical professional, but like an IUD for everyone that I've talked to, like reduces those symptoms too. So that's what a lot of us actually did in practice if we wanted to. Um, at times, like at times when I haven't been on birth control, I um, I just didn't plan races for those days. Like, so you track your cycle, you know when it's coming and you just say like that you're not doing it, you pick a different competition basically. Um, so that's what, like, I would go back if I'm, when I was competing, like go back from like months out and make sure that you're, that everything's lined up. Like you actually, so that you're like actually not having that moment in your cycle on the wrong day and you can control that. And I sometimes used to even, I mean, this is, I wouldn't recommend this, but (laughs) I would sometimes like, like use, like I'd have a couple packets of like birth control pills. So I'd like knock my cycle off and restart it. So that, but that's just like, yeah, that's stuff that like, this is not me recommending that, but like we used to do like, you know, this was my job. Right. So I would like try to like, I would try to have that effect as like I could, cause you know, the Hawaii, the Ironman world championships, like that's on a certain day. Right. I can't, they're not going to work around my cycle. You don't want to miss that one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So like, sometimes I would take, that's what I would take, like something like an extreme measure, which is like trying to actually change when my cycle is going to come. Is that something that would be, would that be quite common practice in say the Olympics? I would guess that people are, are doing stuff like that. Um, that certainly the, the Olympians that I know, like in triathlon would definitely have thought through their cycles. Um, we also know, like, we know that the birth control pill is not generally like not great. Like I reacted really badly to the birth control pill and had it created like a down regulation of my mood too. So like, I don't love the birth control pill. I know Stacy's done some studies that show that it can affect your performance by as much as 11%. Um, so it's important to like keep that kind of thing in mind too. Like how that official, like how different forms of oral contraceptions or how contraceptives affect your, an individual woman is like different per depending on the woman. Um, but yeah, generally like an IUD low dose hormone IUD is what, I know a lot of elite athletes are using. Okay. Sarah Gross, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate you making the time. I know you're a busy person. Sounds like you have about 15 podcasts of your own, by the way. 
Um, <laughs> Only two. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned so many in there. Could you could you give a little plug to where people can find your podcast, find your work if they want to know more about it, join the community? Sure. So my podcast, the one, the new one is called the Women's Performance Podcast. And a lot of that is the stuff that we're talking about where I'm bringing in vetted experts to answer a lot of the questions that I can't around women's performance. Uh, we also have our Women's Performance Summit, which is at the end of March. It's the 25th, the 27th of March, and it's virtual. And you can, if you buy the summit, um, the all access pass, you have access to that for like, even as we have a lot of male coaches who actually buy that all access pass too, or who come to the summit, who work with women who want that information. So we have like 20 vetted experts, um, coming and speaking at that summit, including Stacy. Um, so that's March 25th to 27th. Um, the best place for that is womensperformance.com. So you can find summit the podcast and everything and then our media company is called feisty media and the website's livefeisty.com awesome so cool there's so much going on there uh, i <laughs> i appreciate you making the time I, I i i know i asked you some 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 curly questions but i think that there will be some some people women who will be able to take a lot away from what we spoke about and even if it's just to increase awareness around oh hey mm -hmm. this is the thing and you know what you know and and it, for for a woman or for a coach where it's like you know i hadn't really thought about this kind of stuff it, it, i think that is the most important thing that that i would like to to kind of spark from it so thank you for coming and having this conversation yeah thank you so much joey it's been fun absolutely um i'll put a link to to your podcast mm -hmm. and to the summit and whatnot in the show notes so for anyone's listening you can you can check it out there um yeah get on board follow sarah's stuff and uh and keep spreading the word um, thank you. And uh, uh, maybe we'll, we'll chat again down the track sometime. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, please, if it, if it stood out to you as a, as a goodie, share it with a friend, pass it on to someone who would like to hear it. Helps to support the show and it helps to get quality information out there. We'll catch you guys next week.